1: An ordained minister has decided to give up God for a year. How the heck
2: do you just up and become atheist after being a pastor?
0: What I'm most worried
2: about right now is figuring out how I can live openly and honestly.
3: I am
4: finally free to be me.
2: I have no idea how to find friends or become a part of a community that's not religious.
4: What does life look like after church, after religion? After God. That's you know that's, that's it in a nutshell. This is the Life After God podcast.
3: A conversation on the space between belief and unbelief and beyond. With your host, Ryan Bell. Hello friends and welcome back to the Life After God podcast. My name is Ryan Bell and I'm your host. Happy holidays to each and every one of you. I hope you're doing well today. Thanks for taking time out of your busy holiday schedule to listen. In on this new episode, which is dedicated and devoted to the holiday season. I've had a lot of questions about the holidays and how we uh, navigate the holidays uh, after God, and I wanted to do a special episode on this. And so later in the show, I have an interview with Raymond Arnold, who is Uh, someone who has developed a winter solstice celebration that's being used around the country and in some places around the world. We'll talk a bit more about the solstice, what it is, and how he's gone about developing uh, this special service. Um, And I'll say a bit more about my participation in it as well. We also will hear from listeners who sent in their comments about what they're doing as uh, secular people during the holidays. One of the reasons I decided to do this episode is that I've been asked on a number of occasions this year what, whether I'm, or not I'm celebrating Christmas. And I am celebrating Christmas. It, it never occurred to me not to, actually. I have two young daughters, uh, one of whom's a teenager. And for their entire lives, uh, our family has celebrated Christmas. We've exchanged gifts. We've decorated the Christmas tree, made special Food and uh, had special time together as a family, so uh, you know none of that needs to change. I I don't think uh, in a in a world in which I don't believe in anything supernatural. I don't believe in the that the stories around Christmas about the birth of Jesus are literally true, um, or even necessary to to living a good and fulfilling life but the practice of christmas has become a uh, a really crucial part of of my cultural experience as um as an american and uh, as a part of my my family so we continue to do that in fact the more i thought about this this year the more i realized um how ironic it is that the culture on the conservative side of the spectrum tends to fight this so-called war on Christmas every year. Um, all the things that, um, that are most commonly practiced as, as Christmas practices aren't really religious at all. They are really secular or uh, historically associated with pagan uh, practices. And, uh, and yet we've incorporated these things both into religious life and into secular life. Whether it's Santa Claus or December the 25th or Christmas trees or the consumerism that surrounds our culture and, um, the marketing that motivates us in many times to go and buy more presents for our families. All of these things are, are secular things. They have nothing to do with uh, Christianity, obviously. And so, so it seems an awful lot like, those that are defending Christmas from a secular attack are really uh, confused about what Christmas is and where it came from and the way in which it has gradually secularized over the past many decades. And so it's quite simple, in fact, to remove the religious components from the celebration of Christmas and simply hold on to it as a uh, beautiful secular tradition that families can practice together— that reminds us of the importance of family, uh, motivates us, or or inculcates in us uh, practices of generosity and compassion, um, and uh, and goodwill and, and and joy and peace to to all uh, people around us. And so it, it's a I think it's in general a very positive thing. Um, it also has historical roots with um, pre-Christian winter solstice practices. For thousands of years, our human ancestors um, wondered as they looked at the sky and saw the sun uh, rising and setting more quickly as the winter progressed, concerned, of course, that the sun may never come back, um, and beseeching the gods to allow the sun to continue to shine, that their crops might grow and that they might live. And, of course, the sun turns around in the sky and heads back. Of course, we're using this very um, Earth-centric language. It's the, as we know, the fact that the Earth is tilted on its axis that we have seasons, winter and summer and spring and autumn in between. And at this time of year, as the um, Earth is at the, its furthest point uh, away from the sun, as the northern hemisphere is tilted away from the sun, we have... The shortest days of the year. In fact, the shortest day of the year was just two days ago, on Monday, December the twenty-first, and at least in my part of the world, and uh, and now from now on, the days begin to get longer, more daylight in the evening, uh, which will be a very good thing for uh, for for me in particular. I really don't like these these early nights, and so as our ancestors studied the stars and studied the, the sky and began to wrestle with why this is happening, before they had scientific explanations, they turned to superstitious e- explanations and beseeching the gods of the sky to not abandon them. Now we know better. We know uh, the reason for the season, axial tilt, and we don't need to, um, to worry that the sun will never return. But as Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire in the early centuries of the Common Era, it became natural for Christian worship and practices to be merged with the pagan ones of the host culture, the Roman culture of the time. And so Christian leaders, endeavoring to attract pagans to their faith, um, added Christian meanings to existing pagan festivals around the solstice. And, uh, and so soon, the celebration of the birth of Jesus more or less coincided with the winter solstice, and so uh, in recent years, groups of secular individuals around the country have gathered together and created winter solstice services, uh, liturgies, if you will. Um, and I even I participated in one um, just this past uh, Saturday night with Sunday Assembly Los Angeles. We had our very first winter solstice. Uh, celebration here. And it was beautiful. We had 100 and 120 people come out. We had food and wine and, and laughter and, and a beautiful approximately one hour service of, of singing and poetry and storytelling, um, all built around this um, narrative arc of light and darkness and, and the way that we have evolved in uh, in our society. And it was a very hopeful ceremony and um, and a beautiful ritual um, that that we, I was able to participate in. In fact, I emceed that event and and said a few words about why rituals. Because I think as formerly religious people, um, now secular people, um, if that de- describes you, you may wonder, you know, why why rituals are important and what what they're for. Um, and coming from a religious background, I've I experienced the power of rituals to, to um, create a narrative that gave people's lives meaning and connection. And, and so I shared a few words at the Winter Solstice celebration here in Los Angeles over the weekend, and I wanted to share with you a, a bit of what I said there about rituals. Um, and this is what I, I wrote for that, that event. Rituals engage the intellect, the emotions, and the body to create a rich human experience. Rituals are enacted stories as humans we create and participate in rituals whether we really mean to or not whether it's a 4th of July parade a, f- a family Thanksgiving tradition a particular way you celebrate birthdays or the shared experience of a funeral or a wedding ritual helps us step back and take stock of our lives gain perspective and reorient ourselves rituals allow us to enact our joy process our pain and suffering and live into a larger story of what we are, both individually and collectively. Rituals remind us of the significance of the ordinary, connect us to one another. While individuality is crucially important to celebrate, we are not alone. Rituals help us locate ourselves in history and understand our place. They grant us perspective by inviting us into the bigger picture. Whether we are celebrating a wedding or mourning the loss of a loved one at a funeral, Rituals give shape and structure to our emotions and allow us to live an examined life. I think, I think those are really important reasons to engage in rituals. Um, as you'll hear in my conversation with Ray Arnold in just a moment, it's also important to hold these rituals rather lightly in our hands and allow them to change and grow with us rather than constrain us and limit our growth. And I think that is a, a vital challenge for secular communities as they begin to create various types of, of rituals to, to, um, to help us think more broadly about our lives and our place in the world. I, I want to encourage you as you think about um, your Christmas this week, uh, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, Um, how you might create meaningful rituals, not only for yourself and for your family, but among your group of secular friends. Or perhaps you are in a place of being in between belief and non-belief, and you're going to be in church, and you're thinking, how can I find meaning in this overtly religious practice? And I would just challenge you to find the the overarching, the higher meaning, the humanistic meaning in all of the rituals. I, I've found many times reading religious writing or attending religious services that if I simply translated um, the God language or removed it altogether, there was still plenty of content there that was really meaningful to me. And uh, And so I hope that you... Each and every one of you have a very meaningful uh, winter holiday, no matter how you choose uh, to spend it. Um, I also wanted to tell you about a, a special giving opportunity, and I will post this in the in the show notes as well as on the Life After God Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Our Life After God. Uh, my dear friend Sarah Moorhead, who used to... Uh, run uh, an organization called Recovering from Religion, which is has similar purpose to Life After God, um, recently encountered a major, major crisis in her life. And she is without an income and without a portion of her family this holiday season and in a, in a really difficult place. Uh, and without going into more details here on the podcast, I just want to encourage you to go over to the Life After God Facebook page um, and... Click on the link there, read Sarah's story, and if you have a few dollars to donate, I would really encourage you to do that. Um, she needs as much help as she can get because her entire source of income and family support has been cut off, and she's in a very, very pre- uh, precarious position um, this this winter. So um, if you would like uh, something to do outside of yourself and your family, a little giving opportunity for the holidays... Um, this I would highly recommend to you. And, uh, thank you in advance, uh, for your generosity, not only to Sarah and her family, but also to this podcast. If you're not a regular donor, uh, to this podcast, I would invite you to go to our website, lifeaftergod.org, and, uh, click the button that says become a patron and, uh, support us there at Patreon. And you'll, uh, you'll see all the instructions uh, on the website. Now, before we go to my conversation with ray arnold i want to play for you uh, a few clips that were sent in by listeners uh talking about what they're doing this holiday season uh that now that they are in uh, a post-religious place in their lives with their families i think you'll find this super inspiring
1: my name is sierra ramirez i live in austin texas This will actually be my second secular Christmas, and this year I'm taking my nieces and nephew to see the Mutt Cracker, yes I said Mutt Cracker, which is a theatrical performance of a bunch of rescued animals that will be performing tricks, and I'm really excited about it, I love the theater, I think my nieces and nephew will really enjoy it, and I think it will be a really great ongoing Christmas tradition for years to come. Thank you, and happy holidays.
4: Hi, my name is Devin, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, well, my f- mom and sister are Catholic, and they celebrate a very normal Christmas with Christmas tree and nativity scenes and anything you can imagine. Uh, I cel- celebrate a, a very secular Christmas. I ignore all the religious stuff and merely focus on the things that don't require any religion at all in order to enjoy. I just love decorating a Christmas tree and the lights... And spending time with family, and hot cocoa, and all those kinds of you know winter solstice, Christmas traditions. Especially given that most of the most of the Christmas holiday isn't religious by any means, and really focus on those. And I always make sure I have a wonderful holiday with family and friends.
1: Hi, this is Trav Mamone from the By Any Means podcast. First, I want to wish everyone listening a very Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. Um, My family does the usual Christmas thing. You know, we put up the Christmas tree around Thanksgiving. We exchange gifts on Christmas morning. Drink plenty of eggnog. Oh, yes, lots of eggnog. And I, of course, watch the uh, Doctor Who Christmas annual episode every year. We do one thing differently, though. We integrate the festivist tradition of airing grievances after we've had a few drinks, although we usually talk about how people in general have disappointed us, not just how we've disappointed each other. Anyways, however you celebrate the holidays, hopefully it's a good
4: one. Hi, my name is John Wolforth from Barnum, Minnesota, and each solstice I get together with friends and while we're eating and talking to each other we have a little basket of slips of paper and we write down the thing that we want to let go of at the end of the year and then when it gets dark we go out and there's a fire and we have some other things we throw in the fire and we throw those little slips of paper in there too and if people want to talk about it they can and they don't have to and then we go back and just enjoy each other's company
3: Hi, my name is Misha from Pasadena, California. Um, My family and I, instead of doing something religious uh, between Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas, we have candle time. And that is where myself and my wife and my daughter sit in our living room, light a whole bunch of candles, and drink delicious warm beverages. That's it. It's candle time. I hope you enjoyed hearing those uh, little clips from listeners as much as I did. And uh, maybe you intended to send in a clip and you didn't get a chance to. That's okay. We'll have other opportunities for you to to share on the air uh, in the near future. And here's another way that you can send in your comments uh, to the program, and we'll share them with your permission uh, with our audience. Take a picture of your secular Christmas and send us a short note about what you did and we'll post them in an album on the Life After God website and on the Facebook page. If you're spending a secular Christmas with your family, just take a selfie or take a picture of what you're doing for the holidays and send it to us. My address is Ryan at lifeaftergod dot org. Next up is my interview with Ray Arnold. Raymond Arnold, thank you for being on the Life After God podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you um, speaking to us from your home in Manhattan. I guess. Yep. And the reason that I'm we're, we're chatting, among other reasons, is that you have been uh, heavily involved over the years in developing and and coaching other groups and fine tuning a winter solstice celebration, a kind of litur- secular liturgy of the solstice. Is, have, I, have I said that okay?
2: Uh, yep, that's pretty accurate. Um, there's subtleties we can get to later.
3: Yeah, so how did you, I guess, first of all, like, what's a little bit of your background? Do you have a religious background? And then how did you get involved in, in working with uh, the winter solstice concept?
2: Sure. So my family is kind of half Catholic and half atheist, uh so we've kind of got a mix of viewpoints going on but everyone in my family is super into Christmas and I when I was a kid I just assumed that everyone had this really huge elaborate Christmas celebration where we sang Christmas carols for like 2 hours and we had these elaborate night before Christmas Eve kind of rituals going on <laughs> right. and then we had this whole separate set of things in uh on the following day and then uh one day I invited a friend over for Christmas and afterwards, she was like, holy crap, Christmas is awesome. How have I not, how have I not known that? And her family was like nominally entirely Christian. Um, and that was kind of when I realized that not everyone has like holiday magic and that it's kind of this special thing you have to work for and create.
3: So she had like a Christmas tree and presents, but not sort of the high festival that your family celebrated.
2: Yeah, they roll out of bed at noon and give each other presents and drink coffee and call it a day.
3: Wow. Okay. So you, you, you grew up with this. Were you uh, a believer in your childhood? I mean, coming from a half-religious, half-atheist family? Or did, did Christmas have a, a religious feeling to you?
2: Um, I, I'm trying to remember whether I stopped believing in God or Santa Claus first. I, I remember it was <laughs> sort of complicated. Um, what was in, like, I, definitely, I was sort of on my way out definitely by the time I was six For both of those folk. Um, Specifically, uh, I I remember praying to God to get Christmas presents at some point and it didn't work. And then I was like, well, screw that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There was actually a lot of other stuff going on where there was this particular summer where I had been believing in Santa Claus every single year. And then um, the year I stopped believing in Santa Claus, um, during the summer, my dad taught me a lot about the nature of the universe, like how solar systems form and how black holes form and just kind of how physics works right. in a, at a six-year-old level, but still a, like a pretty good level. And, and somehow like my thought process was, whoa, the universe is this coherent, logical place that follows rules and makes sense. And then six months later, like it was Christmas time. And I was like, oh, well, Santa Claus just clearly isn't real because because of the universe and physics.
3: How would he get from one part of the world to another with, with presents with a sleigh and reindeer?
2: I wasn't even thinking about it that, like, specifically. It was just... Right. It was just the universe just suddenly seemed like a lawful, orderful, orderful place. Right. And uh, and it just didn't make sense.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Santa Claus narrative is is one that is almost deliberately nonsensical. Um, and I suppose the from a distance, the religious narrative seems almost equally uh nonsensical you know a child being born of a virgin and so forth and mm-hmm. um but i remember yeah i remember so distinctly that moment um i was about 7 and i remember sitting in the back seat of my car and i can't remember if it was initially an accident like one of my parents slipped but my mom and dad were in the front two seats i think my dad was driving and i just remember this moment realizing or or being told that santa claus isn't real and i wept i remember crying like Aww. like someone had died in my family it was it was that level i mean it didn't last very long i was i don't remember being distraught over it for more than the that moment you know i don't remember like days going by where i'm mourning the loss of santa claus but i did i had a really intense reaction to this idea that that Santa Claus didn't exist I don't know if it was the idea that my parents had deceived me this long or, right. or whether it was really the loss of Santa Claus because of course I had never met or had a relationship with this Santa Claus and I think I knew my parents were buying me all the gifts I don't I, yeah it's really fuzzy like how that kind of belief works for, for folks but
2: yeah I think over time you sort of you gradually become a more logical person or, or more able to think about things person and I think just the pieces that make the least sense start sort of fading away sooner, but in a way that you don't, you don't pay attention to how all the beliefs are fitting together until suddenly you're like, what?
3: Yeah. The the pieces converge and you're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So how did you get involved in, or what, what first piqued your interest in the idea of winter solstice and that it could be a secular, uh, holiday as such.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, I had found a community of fellow skeptic, rational-type people in New York City. And we had been just kind of hanging out and coalescing as a very tightly-knit group of people for a couple years. And at the end of the second year that I knew them, we were all like, we all wanted to have some kind of of end-of-the-year festivity. And we had also found that we all kind of shared not just shared a, like a disbelief in God, but shared a belief, like a proactive belief in the idea that, first of all, that like humanity is alone in the universe and that matters. It matters that there's a lot of really huge, terrible things that could happen. There are terrible things that have happened and it's up to us to figure out what to do about that. Right. And so we all kind of took seriously the idea that if you want the world to be a better place, like, you know, be the change you want to see in the world.
3: Right.
1: Right.
2: And some of us took that seriously in a, like, let's go out and do massively complicated acts of altruism kind of thing. And some of us, uh, enacted that more in a, just, uh, let's donate to some good charities sometimes. And meanwhile, let's help just build a community of kind of clear thinking people. Um, so the end of the year came and we had a lot of shared beliefs, not just shared disbeliefs. And I, it all just sort of came together organically over the course of the year. Earlier in the year, I had seen a music video on the internet that was about the rise of civilization, but it was, and it was a very epic, very beautiful video, but it was set to this christian latin music that was essentially saying the words like jesus is great jesus is great over and over again if you translated the latin right um and i was like man what a really great video about like mankind's like rise from rise from the dust and the mud up to becoming this like powerful force across the the world and uh and i found it inspiring but disappointing that that video like had this soundtrack that specifically associated it with a with a christian mythos um so I started by writing a song earlier in the year called "Brighter Than Today," which was just kind of a humanist anthem that was about looking, imagining the first person to uh, imagining the first person to discover fire and what that would have been like, and how how weird it would have been to show fire to your friends and family back in the day and be like, "Hey, look at this cool new tool I found," and having no one really like understand and be a little afraid, right. And start from there, and then kind of move through the years, through the ages, looking at all the different ways we've brought light to the world. And uh, so that was just kind of this straightforward anthem of progress. And then somewhere in early year, uh, another friends put together like a kind of reimagined seder. Uh, I had a lot of kind of Jewish atheist friends, right? Uh, So they took the the Passover seder and reinterpreted it. To be about freedom from cloudy judgment and beliefs, hmm. and uh, and that was there was a lot of cleverness that went into that. There was a lot of kind of Jewish in jokes that went into that, <laughs> and uh, so the very kernel of the first thing that would later become the solstice was me having just written brighter than today, and then thinking about what if you had sort of a reversed Hanukkah hmm. where it was about the lights getting darker as the solstice approached and kind of dwelling upon the darkness and thinking about what that meant symbolically to us. And then by the end of the year, it had all sort of crystallized into this idea that it's sort of loosely modeled after my family's Christmas. My family's Christmas has like two hours of singing followed by a bunch of food and stuff. And the singing sort of follows this emotional arc where we start off really like bright and festive and rowdy. And then gradually we get sort of tranquil and sacred Uh, we start off singing like really loud obnoxious Christmas carols for children and we're all slightly drunk etc but then by the end of the night we're singing Silent Night and the fire has dimmed down and the lights are a little dimmed down and we all kind of have a food coma and there's just this nice serenity
3: yeah that's beautiful
2: Yeah. so I was thinking about that from an artistic standpoint um, looking at kind of what goes into making that moment work and seeing that it wasn't just about these the christmas carols themselves it was about how they were arranged what order we sang them in it was about the fact that we brought a lot of our own family in jokes to christmas there were a lot of silly things going on that like we read the we have a book of christmas carols and we read the book backwards we start from the very last christmas carol and then read <laughs> towards the beginning and that's weird why would you do that i don't know but that's what my family does and that makes it our thing and that the sort of absurdity of it is what makes it potent, what makes it specifically ours. So, so I was thinking about that and kind of starting from that standpoint and then thinking, okay, well, I want to create an emotional arc. I don't just want it to be the same emotional arc that Christmas has. I want it to be its own thing that makes sense for this new group of of friends who all have their own different set of in-jokes and own different set of kind of important beliefs. So rather than going from loud to sacred, the idea is it goes from bright to dark to bright again, right? which follows the path of what the solstice is itself. We start with a whole bunch of candles and, and lights, and uh, like I, the ideal version of this in my head, and we've never quite executed this the way I want, is you have all kinds of different lights from all kinds of different eras. So you have candles, you have oil lamps, you have kerosene lamps, you have modern electrical lights. So you have this kind of arrangement of things showcasing technology evolving over time. Hmm, yeah. And over the over the course of the evening, you gradually extinguish those lights as you're singing songs that get darker and darker and a little more somber and poignant until eventually there's just one candle left. And over that candle, tell a story about hardship that we've faced together or that one of us has faced as an individual and how that relates to what everyone else is facing, what the darkness means to them, how that relates to what it means to the rest of the people in the group and to humanity as a whole. And then you blow that candle out and we all sit together in darkness and silence for about a minute. And then we start relighting the candles and the other kinds of lights that we have. And the song that I wrote brighter than today ended up being a very poignant song. That's about how the world is literally getting brighter because it's the solstice. It's the darkest day of the year and tomorrow will be brighter. And then Also, just metaphorically, all the different ways that humans are bringing light to the world. And then the second half of the event gets more bright and warm and enthusiastic and hopeful and triumphant. Um, So that's the overall arc of the thing.
3: Yeah, it's really, I've been working with the Sunday Assembly Group here in Los Angeles, and our uh, solstice celebration is this coming uh, Saturday night which mm-hmm. will be, um, at the time this bod- podcast is live, it'll be in the past already. But um, it's something that I've really, I've gone through your um, materials and uh, there's been some folks on the leadership group, uh, in the leadership group at Sunday Assembly that have been adapting uh, some things for a, a, our group and to make it personal for us. And I've just been mm-hmm. really impressed with the whole thing. I, I'm, i um, of course, as having been a pastor for... Uh, nearly 20 years, I'm familiar with the power of, um, you know, narratives that are engaged in in sort of bodily and and, uh, emotional ways, uh, creating liturgies that sort of move people through a story, um, a condensed story, usually um, some, some larger sort of meta story that we can enact in the space of an hour that kind of reminds us where we are and who we are and who we're connected to and all of that. And it it reminds me so much of some of those religious um uh, story some of that religious storytelling but of course it's not a religious story it's a very scientific natural historical uh story uh which in it, from where i sit now seems a much more um uh credible and plausible obviously uh type of story but nevertheless the emotional connection is still very similar i would i would think to the kind of religious, um, uh, sort of fervor that attaches to religious rituals. Um, I, I, have you heard of other groups? I mean, how, how have you, uh, heard back from other groups about ritual and the ways that groups are engaging with this material, uh, around rituals? Is is it something that secular people are open to in general, or do they find it to be uncomfortably reminiscent of religion?
2: I think it varies a lot on the secular person and their secular community. There have absolutely been, from the very beginning, people who read about what I was doing online, and they said, like, what? That's like, we just escaped from religion. Why would we want to go back to something that feels so similar? And why would you want to ritualize ideas that sort of increases the chance that you'll become too attached to them, etc.? Right, right. Um, And I actually take a lot of that very seriously. I view what I'm doing as kind of having a lot of important responsibilities to make sure that I design this in such a way that it doesn't get misused and it doesn't get co-opted to become something dangerous or damaging. Yeah. So like, for example, this year at the New York solstice, one of the major themes is going to be, or was a few days ago, um, How stories need to change over time, and how we need to be willing to let go of pieces of ritual and tradition that did seem very beautiful to us, but ultimately our worldview slowly changes, and some pieces of it have to be let let go of.
0: Hmm.
3: Uh, Something religion really doesn't do a very good job at.
2: Exactly. So one thing. So this is a story I will be telling at the solstice. um, Having, it'll be spoilers for the solstice but uh but your audience can be among the first people outside to hear about it um when i first created the winter solstice there was this progress narrative that they were kind of hunter-gatherers scratching in the dirt and shivering in the cold and then they invented agriculture and then agriculture was this unambiguous force for good that led us out of the darkness and into the future <laughs> um and that's not false that's like sure there's certainly a true narrative there but it's missing a lot of pieces it, it's missing the fact that agriculture basically came hand-in-hand hand with military conquest. Agriculture and science and and empires and bloodshed were all kind of interwoven with each other throughout history. Right. Um, and also, agriculture, while it enabled more food to be grown per person, it didn't actually help the individual person that much. It meant that they ended up working longer hours, and all the extra food they produced was generally taken away as taxes for the government or the priesthood or whoever, or the soldiers. Um, so people were working longer hours. They had, um, they were living much closer, packed together living alongside their animals. And that was a breeding ground for disease. So people became more sick and they were now eating a few monocrops instead of all kinds of different nuts and berries and meats. So their nutrition, their life expectancy uh, were kind of going down. So in a lot of ways, agriculture actually resulted in lower quality of life for a very long time up until the Industrial Revolution finally took off and brought us to a point where there was just so much abundance that, uh, that we were able to start finding better ways of sharing it
1: equitably. Right.
2: Uh, So figuring out how to incorporate that into an event that's been about human history and has historically been about a progress narrative, while still acknowledging the progress narrative because the the progress is still true, um, there's a lot of subtlety that goes into that. And I'm even right now not entirely sure how that's going to play out in the future. But I think it's a really important thing for me to start talking about now so that as Solstice starts spreading to different groups, there's this understanding both that the core message kind of needs to grow and mature a little bit, and also that in the future when we learn new things, we just have to be ready to update it with the times.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised coming from a religious um, background and, and sort of my schooling and my whole intellectual uh, life was built in some sense, around a religious story, which was it had its own sort of balance of pessimism and optimism. You know, the pessimism being that, you know, human nature is uh, bad and will ultimately self-destruct, but God is good and can give us a good nature and God will save us all in the end, kind of to to abbreviate. Mm -hmm. Um, But but then um, what I was a little surprised about when I entered into sort of uh, my exploration of the secular world and I um, eventually became a non-believer myself was the level of optimism that I found among secular people. I, I didn't expect that. I, I expected there to be a more sober kind of, um, you know, life is hard. We make the best of it. Um, life is also good. Ah, uh, but it's not unambiguously good. and the, and the progress narrative that you refer to is not like a straight line by any means. And mm-hmm. um, but I, I I still I feel like the secular community does struggle with that a little bit, um sort of honestly reckoning with the ups and downs of of uh, the consequences of science uh, science and and technology and the way that affects us. And so i'm I'm really excited to hear kind of how. Um, I mean, one of the one of the interesting things I think about storytelling is that, you know, you tell the story, whether it's a film or a book or a short story or in this case, a kind of um, enacted celebration and you you tell it and then it begins to sort of tell you things, uh, Mm -hmm. teach you, you know, so you you do this thing as a teaching tool almost to say, look, guys, uh, where we came from and where we're going and then you stand back and it begins to teach you things about where you've maybe missed something. And I just, I really love that. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to hear, you know, how that's evolving um, for you. And I suppose it will also uh, spread around uh, to other groups because it seems like, and and, and this kind of leads me to the next question I wanted to ask you, Um, this solstice celebration, which is best I can tell, sort of traces back to to you. uh, and I'm sure there have been other, you know, secular solstice celebrations, but most people uh refer to to your sort of initial impetus to start this kind of a thing. Um, there seem to be a lot of them now around the country and maybe even around the world. Do you have a sense of how many there are and and how do you feel about the way it's spreading is it Is it a good thing overall that you've been able to to tell
2: yeah it's it's uh it's definitely spreading, and I definitely think that's a good thing. Um, I'm sort of taking stock now of now it's starting to spread a little bit faster than I can control and that, or that I have a full understanding of. So I'm starting to kind of just not necessarily do anything about that, but take note and I don't know, just kind of incorporate that into how I think about its, its growth, just how the growth of its story works. Um, there's somewhere on the order of, I think, Ten events this year that I know of, like plus or minus two. Right. Um, there's a few big ones. There's actually two in the San Francisco area. There's one uh, Sunday Assembly one, and then there's another one that's just kind of a loosely defined community of people into rationality and startups and, I don't know, a cluster of things in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this, your one in L.A. There's the San Diego one. Right. From Sunday Assembly, there's a Seattle group that's just kind of a neutral, secular group putting something together. Um, neutral, I don't know what that meant exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's actually, there's two things going on in Boston. I think what they ended up doing in Boston was more of uh, Boston Sunday Assembly is, I think, doing more of a Yule Rock thing, which is the the thing that Sanderson from Sunday Assembly came up with. Right. Um, but there was another group that this last week ran a solstice event, more directly following the stuff that I had put together uh, in MIT.
3: Oh yeah, it sounds too like the way you describe it—sort of the origins of the concept in in your own mind, coming from your family celebration, and then the Hanukkah connect, not the Hanukkah, uh, the um, the Passover connection that you mentioned. Um, those are both like intimate family sort of home centered living room sort of centered, uh, celebrations. It seems quite easy to invite five or 10 of your best friends over and do this kind of thing just in your, in your living room. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you know of people that are doing it that way? Yes,
2: that was actually what I just wanted to get to. There's there are some people in Washington D.C. who will remain anonymous because they want to be, um, they, they, who they just they're just holding a private event for themselves with I think like twenty some odd people just awesome. kind of in the in the living room. Um, I think there's a couple more events in that space. Uh, there's actually um, in Leipzig, Germany. Uh, there's a similar group doing they're doing an event that's kind of inspired by but is also kind of moving in its own direction and kind of incorporating. A lot of, uh, some of my stuff, some other stuff, the, the, the main organizer there is a poet who's put together his own, uh, what he calls the seven secular sermons, which are like very lengthy kind of epic poems that are also intended to be guided meditations through the universe or through entropy and some other concepts.
3: Wow. That's so great.
2: Yeah. So he's kind of bringing a bunch of stuff together. Um, yeah, I actually consider it a major challenge for me to solve That right now, the way solstice spreads tends to be in large communities. Like, I'm able to reach out to large communities and say, hey, I think you should do this thing. I think it'll be really great for for your people. And then I work with them for them to put it on. Um, I'm not able to work as much with individual, like, small groups. Right. Five, ten people. Yeah. So... That makes it a little harder to jumpstart the sort of family traditions that ultimately, if this thing is going to be successful, it doesn't just need to be successful on the grand scales that we're doing in Sunday Assembly and in New York and in all these kind of big auditorium hall type places or banquet halls. Like It needs to be a thing ultimately that people take home that just feels like a natural part of their life.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, th- I think it has an organic quality to it that is. It really speaks to something true about the the thing itself, which which is that you know human societies have evolved and learned and grown over over centuries and millennia, and and in in a similar way, this remembrance of our history and celebration of our progress also would seem. It would seem quite natural for those celebrations to be cont- like culturally contextual like if there was a group in you know in sub-saharan africa that decided to do it it would be it would be silly for them to replicate a north american kind of way of doing it they would take on their own cultural uh trappings and and interpretations and and it seems on a a far less dramatic scale that you know a small family group might have these personal adaptations and it takes on a life of its own
2: yeah absolutely one of the things that I talk about at the beginning of the solstice book of traditions, which is this sort of manual I made for it. Um, the first thing I say is real ritual isn't created. It evolves. Like if you were going to invent Christmas on purpose, like (laughs) there is no way that like 2000 years ago that a bunch of people sat around and they were like, all right, okay, we want to create this worldwide phenomenon. That's going to last like for thousands of years. (laughs) Step one: Have like tell a story about a virgin-born savior in the middle of the desert. Step two: Crucify him. Step three: Like invent a new church, spread across Europe, uh, take over Rome, etc. <laughs> Step four: Start colonizing and interacting with pagans, and then start like taking random symbols from their their trees and their holly and their berries and their yule logs and whatnot, and just sort of incorporate them into the thing somehow step four invent modern capitalism step five invent coca-cola step six coca-cola invents this particular version of an iconic character who's this fat man that flies around the world and sneaks into your building and down your (laughs) chimney and gives presents like no one no one would decide to do that on purpose right exactly Um, and it's really important if you're designing art that is, is like cultural art that's supposed to feel authentic. It needs to feel like it's already weathered a little bit of time and natural evolutionary forces. So one of the things I was very conscious of in the first year that I put this together was I knew the default was, it was going to feel awkward and forced. Like if you're making up a tradition on the first year. Right. So I looked at a bunch of little mini traditions, little proto rituals that my group had, like we liked to pass around dark chocolate. Um, so the first year, because it was our group we incorporated passing around dark chocolate into the solstice and then sort of imagined not just that, but what that would look like after a few years of kind of letting it naturally evolve and try to like imagine the future, somewhat haphazard evolution that happened and then just go ahead and do that right away. <laughs> um, and that, uh, it was a work in progress, obviously. Right. And, uh, it, it didn't work perfectly the first year, but it did work much better than we might have expected and worked well enough that we knew we wanted to do it again. And within the second year, it just felt natural. And then with the third year, it just felt like this, this is just a tradition we have that we do every year. And it's, of course, we do it that way. Um,
3: yeah, that's great. I mean, and I, th- I think that that's, I mean, even our celebration in Los Angeles is... Uh, it has major themes. Uh, th- of course, the major theme of the dying of the light and the rebirth of the light um, from your um, sort of uh, template. Uh, but but our you know our musicians and our poets and you know bring their own kind of uh, flavor to it as well. So I mean I think it's I think it's great. And one of the things you know earlier in this episode we had a few of my listeners um, call in and and record uh, short. Little descriptions of what they do for the holidays, like how post post religion, because most of my audience is uh, formerly religious people who, in, in for many of them, it's a loss. Uh, in in many ways, it's a loss, but it's in particular, this uh, religious traditions, especially around the holidays, uh, feels uh, pretty pretty big as a loss. And um, so, some people are just sharing how they go about. Uh, making the holiday season special even though they don't believe in God or anything supernatural anymore, which got me to thinking about Christmas. And someone asked me, like, well, do you think, you know, atheists or secular people can celebrate Christmas? And my, my immediate response was, well, I do. Like, I I, I have a tree right now uh, about mm-hmm. 20, 20 feet from where I'm sitting and lights and ornaments, and I'm going to put tr- presents under there for my family and my, my kids and my girlfriend and – um." And we do that, and it struck me that Christmas has already secularized so much in the last, I don't know, 50 years, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, that that buying presents and Santa Claus and um, most of this stuff is, you know, commercialism, like you said, capitalism, <laughs> um, you know, the pine tree is some kind of Norse uh, tradition, and... The date, of course, comes uh, most likely from uh, pagan uh, traditions from Rome and other places. So, I mean, already Christmas is such a secular holiday. Do you find uh, yourself also still celebrating Christmas, even with the solstice? And and how do you advise people that are questioning about Christmas?
2: I still celebrate Christmas with my family. Uh, for me, Christmas is is the thing I do with my family. Right. Um. I am expecting that as I grow up, um, like if I eventually have kids, I'll probably, we'll probably still do Christmas with, with the same family that I've always done. But what I do expect to happen over time is family wise, I'll kind of blend the two together. I'll probably do some, some solstice carols along with our Christmas carols, et cetera. We already, we kind of have been doing that. My family comes to the solstice each year. And um, so we've done a couple uh, solstice songs just interjected into our, our Christmas retinue. Um, for people that if you're just starting out and you don't have a tradition yet and you're kind of trying to figure out what you want your traditions to be, um, I, I think it's kind of an open question and it depends what you want. Christmas has a core concept, which is it's in a very raw way about the family Um, at least in, in kind of modern, the, the, the niche that Christmas has come to fill is about family togetherness and about, um, sort of like a particular kind of brotherhood or sisterhood that has its, a certain flavor to it. Right. And solstice has a bit of a different flavor to it. Solstice is kind of more about being at least solstice as, as I have been celebrating it so far. And I absolutely expect this to kind of uh, gradually get change as it starts filtering down into individual families instead of being held at these large events that 100 people come to. Uh, maybe this will just change. But for right now, Solstice kind of has this flavor of being excited about human humanity and where we're going and where we've come from and, and just how much we've done together. So I would say if that's something that excites you, um, I think, uh, I think it can be the core of a lot of good family traditions. Um, another thing, a thing that makes Christmas work for me is we're singing all these Christmas carols and it's not just a random collection of songs. It's a collection of songs that do have an overall arcing theme and that you can tell that the people writing the songs like really deeply cared about the thing they were saying. Right. And uh, and that kind of gives them an extra heft and power. Um, so I actually just kind of changed my mind about the thing I just said over the past five minutes. Um, originally I was saying Christmas has this flavor of family and solstice doesn't really have that flavor. And I think that's actually just entirely because so far Christmas is generally celebrated in people's homes by families. And so far solstice has mostly been celebrated by either groups of friends that are brought together by common interest or by... Uh, large groups of people that don't have that particular kind of intimate family connection.
3: Right, exactly. Um,
2: so I very much expect that to change as it gradually becomes more uh, more of an individual thing.
3: Yeah, and I think it's, it is, um, you know, when you first are going through the process of losing your faith or leaving religion, even if you somehow still loosely believe in a god or whatever, but you're not part of a religious tradition anymore— there is a sense of loss about these traditions or these uh, practices that gave your life some kind of meaning and joy Uh, and it just takes time. But I think to start where you are is a good place to start for most people. So if you, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have candles around Christmas time that you light with your family, then, you know, light those candles. Um, And when you tell a story, if the story that you used to tell, you don't believe that story anymore, then try telling a story you do believe in um, or, You know, talking about something that gives your life meaning now and create, you know, at a family level at least, a tradition that that resembles perhaps uh, a tradition from your past but has a new twist on it that reflects your new sort of ideological or mental space that you're in. Um, But I think, you know, the Solstice Service really does a nice job of that. The funny—one funny uh, recollection for me is that when I was a pastor, I was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor— Mm-hmm. And I don't know how familiar you are with Seventh-day Adventists, but pretty fundamentalist. And there's a strain of, of Seventh-day Adventists in my life throughout my ministry who would say, we don't, you know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we don't celebrate Christmas because it has these pagan origins. And I spent a good amount of energy during my ministry sort of trying to distance Christmas from these pagan origins so as to say to my fundamentalist church members, it's fine. You can celebrate Christmas. It doesn't mean that anymore. It means, you know, this Christian thing that we're celebrating and I it's funny to find myself now on the other side saying, "Oh yeah, there are these pagan origins. Isn't that great? Yeah. Like <laughs> aren't these yeah. wonderful like pagan uh, concepts that uh, and maybe pagan it has this pejorative kind of sound to it, but these ancient rituals, ancient uh, practices where our forebears were really struggling to figure out what's happening in the natural world and what is our place in it, and how do we can we can't obviously can't control what's happening; it's beyond our control. So how do we relate to it and work along with nature uh, in a productive way? So I mean, there's so many wonderful uh, takeaways from that story, and it I, I chuckle now to think how anti all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and my colleagues were, uh, and still are.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I um something actually that that reminded me of is, so I came from a kind of half Catholic background. So a lot of people comment that the solstice feels a bit like a midnight mass. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's actually something I'm trying to deliberately not move away from completely, but add more elements to, so that it doesn't feel so like. Obvious and completely from that uh, from that tradition. Right. Um, one of the things that's been interesting to me over the past year and a half is I started finding some people online who identify as atheo Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Which are
2: people who are they come from a, a modern pagan tradition. Uh, so kind of gathering in the woods and singing songs and having rituals that are much more informal that are much more improvised than typical christian protestant type uh type ceremonies right and um so they have this entirely different aesthetic and in the same way that like sunday assembly is sort of taking protestant church and turning it into the atheist version of that Ethiopagan is like let's take like gathering in the woods and singing songs about nature and doing the the atheist version of that um while keeping some of the aesthetic that you know makes it interesting
3: right yeah, and I think we, we all, to one degree or another, have some like negative emotion by association with things that have been negative for us in the, us in the past. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for you, it sounds like your Catholic-slash-Atheist upbringing in Christmas was almost completely a positive experience for you uh, mm-hmm. with your family. You know, for someone who was perhaps seriously abused by the church mm-hmm. anything that Absolutely. resembles that is going to be set them off in the wrong direction so um yeah it really is a very personal thing so for some people the fact that sunday assembly resembles church is just way too much for them and for other people it's precisely why they go to sunday assembly so it's it's uh it's really i mean a very very personal decision um all of these things but there are options for people people can choose to do absolutely nothing at all and watch sure. ESPN or or whatever mm-hmm. they want to do you know so uh I just appreciate the fact that you've put so much energy and work into really a thoughtful production of a of an arc like a narrative arc that you've created and um I I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it this year for the first cool. time in my life
2: Could I ask a question about uh your guys's solstice Sure yeah, I'm just kind of curious what of the you've mentioned a few times that you've adapted it to feel like a kind of unique thing for that is reflective of the LA community. I'm curious is there any particular piece of that that's you're particularly excited about?
3: Um, you know, it's I think it's mostly the voices, like the just the different people that are involved um mm. and there's one part and I don't remember actually whether this is in your um original script but there's this time where um people come on stage in the darkness and begin to light the lights again is that i i don't know i don't remember how you staged that uh in the script in, in your book that you wrote um but i love i really like that i almost picture like uh i don't and i don't know that we'll execute it this way because i'm not directing and producing it myself i'm i'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm emceeing the thing and speaking a little bit but Um, Oh, cool. I I almost picture like pantomimes in black in all black, you know, just like looking around in the darkness in fear and then just lighting a spark and lighting one candle and passing it to another person. And then this light just multiplies sort of making Mm -hmm. the point that we light each other's worlds like we we when we're alone in the dark, it's very dark. But if we share what we have with others, you know, it becomes this uh, rapidly enlightened uh, place. And and that it's sort of the the power of of sharing not just our physical assets but our you know emotional and mental and intellectual assets that we have with one another to enlighten um, our world. So that part for me is probably my favorite part.
2: Cool. I'm looking forward to hear how that all, how that all comes out. The lighting of the candles in the middle of the event I always thought of as a very key moment in the event. Uh, what's interesting is in the, as I've scaled up and gone from 20 people in a living room to 200 people in the big hall. Right. Um, I have not been able to do candles the way that I kind of historically imagined them being done for the past several years because the fire codes are just so strict. We have, we have three candles in, um, that we have on stage that will be extinguished over the course of the night as we read certain essays and then relit after brighter than today. Um, brighter than today being the central sun. Um,
3: I think we are going to have each like candles underneath each chair. I think we're expecting around 80 to a hundred people to be present for our, our event. And, and I think at one point we will systematically turn to each other and light each other's candles, which is something I remember from Christmas Eve in my Methodist mm-hmm. church growing up um, lighting the candles for Christmas Eve candlelight service. And um, you know, the great thing about candles is that no one religion has a you know corner on the market of, Candles. Yes you know candles are <laughs> are a powerful symbol for a reason you know yeah and it's a universal human sort of enchantment with you know the the original discovery as you said of fire and and the power mm-hmm. the power of fire in, in sort of advancing human civilization so i'm I'm really looking forward to that moment. I hope there's um, usually we have a a gentleman who takes f- fantastic photos of, uh, and sometimes even video another guy. So hopefully there'll be some documentation of, of what happens here.
2: Awesome. Looking forward to that.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life and, uh, and sharing this background with us. I know it it will be helpful to, to my listeners and it's helpful to me as I think about, you know, my teenagers and kind of how we're forming new traditions and, uh, I hope to join you guys in New York sometime at the uh, sort of the mothership of, of uh, <laughs> winter solstice.
2: <laughs> yep. We're uh, we're I am so excited about our program this year that we're going to have a full band the whole time for like 20 songs. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Are
3: you recording any of it, video or audio?
2: Uh, so we're definitely recording audio. Um, I'm going to see about video. We're probably only going to be able to record small pieces of video. Yeah. Um,
3: you have to, you know, it. part of that is to, for me to like, if you really want the impact, you need to be there.
2: Yeah, um, that I've actually, in the past, I've been very hesitant about doing videos of solstice because there's a lot of, just the energy is so, so different if you're watching a video than if you are actually there. Right. That I almost like kind of want people to imagine the mystique and kind of fill in what it feels like and then go there. And then it, it does in fact feel that, that way. Right. Um, rather than seeing a video that has a couple like awkward pauses of silence as people shift
3: positions, etc. Right. Right. Um, it doesn't quite translate to your you know dining room table as you're watching yep. on your computer. Yep. Well, thanks so much for this and uh happy solstice and good yep. luck with your program. Yep. Happy new year too. Yeah. Happy new year to you too. Thanks Ray. Ray has done fantastic work, uh, with this winter solstice service. And, uh, I, I. Enjoyed so much participating in the one here in Los Angeles. If you want to know more about Ray's work around the winter solstice, buy the book that he refers to in the podcast. Download the music that he's written that goes with uh, the solstice, which is wonderful holiday listening, whether you're a part of the winter solstice service or not. You can go to humanistculture.com. And he has a blog linked up there, his store where you can buy the book, and it's all linked up to Bandcamp where you can download his music. I really want to encourage you uh to check it out. And the music, you can just stream it and listen to it there as well. And uh, while I'm talking about his music, I thought it would be nice to share with you his song, Brighter Than Today, which serves as kind of the culmination or the climax of the winter solstice service. And we used it in Los Angeles, and I know many groups are using it around the country. So here's Ray's song, Brighter Than Today.
5: sparkle light. Each lesson learned Shining light to guide our way Make tomorrow brighter than today
3: that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much again for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you and your family and friends have the most fantastic Christmas or winter solstice or winter celebration, however you spend it. Enjoy the ones you're with. Be sure you express how much you love your, your friends and family. We never know uh, how much time we get with one another. Uh, Life is is temporary and unpredictable, and every minute we get to spend with our loved ones is a gift. And so enjoy it to the utmost. Um, I want to invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family as well. Uh, love it if you would uh, share it on social media, send an email to your friends and family, let them know about the podcast and have them subscribe to it on iTunes or Spreaker. It really does help us get the word out and grow our audience. I'd love for us to get to 50,000 plays before the end of the year. We're at about 40,000 now. And with your help, we can bring this podcast uh, to another 10,000 people before the end of the year. Uh, So help us out with that. Also, if you can give to us during this time of the year... Um, I'm working on this as a labor of love and and with your support, I do get to pay a few of my bills with this, but I could really use... Uh, your additional help to grow and expand the work that we're doing with people who are going through the process of deconversion and restructuring their their worldview after uh, a life of, of being in religion and in theism. So if you can support us, uh, please go to my uh, Patreon page at patreon.com slash life after God. You can make any size recurring monthly donation there and all of your proceeds go to helping me uh, get this work out to more and more people. So uh, thank you so much in advance for your generosity. And I want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, a happy Festivus, happy Solstice, happy holidays, whatever it is that you uh, do over the next couple of weeks. Um, May it be beautiful and joyful. And we will be back here next week Uh, with a new episode uh, with my friend Leslie Foster talking a little bit more, actually, about ritual and the work that he's doing as an artist. I hope you'll tune in then. Until then, my name is Ryan Bell, your host, and this has been Life After God.